to Boom Talk Studios. Fox trying to get a foxhole. Season 3, episode 20. The Companion Podcast, featuring an interview with friend of the show, Alec Ford, where we met last week for a couple of drinks to sort of enhance some of the topics I've been covering for a while and that he's talked with me about in the past. Just a fun time. Been a while since he's been on the show. A lot going on tonight. So I was telling you in the other podcasts, snow on the ground still. Very chilly here in South Eugene. A nice, balmy 32 degrees. And believe me, sitting here in the studio, it's chilly willy. Went in a little bit of heat even. Anyhow, this is a great interview. If you want to be on the the podcast or the other podcast, The Scene, we'd love to have you as a guest. F-T-I-N-F-X at gmail.com for those who might be interested. You know, it could be talk about anything. We're always game for it. These interviews are always fun. Um, that's probably about it. Check out the other podcasts. Be on the lookout for some more interesting things as the year progresses. But yeah, I got to get my uh, sponsorships in. Thank the folks at www.purpleplanet.com for the wonderful theme music. Thank the folks at Road and Zoom for providing tools for content creation for aspiring creators around the world. Yeah, yeah. Thank our sponsors. If you want to sponsor the show, ftinfx at gmail.com. Love to take anything you could offer. If possible, if not, just keep tuning in and tell your friends to do so as well. We're happy with that. As we continue to get better as we move towards 2022. Like we said in the beginning, and we're still going to deliver on new adventures and high-fidelity content. Okay, enough of me talking. Now, on to our interview, part one, with Alec Ford. Three, two, one. Okay, I am mobile at the legendary Max's Tavern. Told you last week we were going to have a conversation with Alec Ford. Well... We got lucky, he's in town, so we're going to do this actually in person, on location at our favorite bar in Eugene, and we have a lot to talk about. So hey, Alec, welcome back to the Voxel. How have you been? Oh, I've been great. It's great to be back here. We've definitely had a lot of good times at this place back in the day. <laughs> Absolutely. So before we get going, you know, one of the things I always bring up in the podcast is Vegas is basically the place to be right now, you know, whether it's the Raiders the nights, obviously, all the fights. I mean, what's that like being out there with so many things? I mean, you know, I always see your picture, so it's really cool. It's like, damn, he's Well, cool. you know what? We, um, it's nice being Vegas. Vegas appears to be back. Um, it's not back to what it was pre-pandemic, but there's just a lot of stuff going on. Um, there was recently the uh, NFR, National Finals Rodeo, was there the last two weeks. And for me, as a good old country music fan, that was just very awesome. Got to see some shows I like. Um, definitely the presence of the Raiders actually having fans this year has added an atmosphere to the city. In fact, about two, three weeks ago when uh, your Washington football team 
came into town. Man, they were packed, loads of WFT fans there. That just More added a definite atmosphere. Yeah, for sure. So, so, and you guys got a W out of that oh, game absolutely. too, which made it a lot better yeah. for those people. No, so. It was one of the more travel events for that fan base. And you know, to the thing about NFR, you know, obviously, as I, I've told people a million times that you know, I went to school there, and uh-huh. it was something like. In a far, the two weeks you have all the animals pinned up at UNLV. Mm-hmm. The casinos all put, you know, yes. go to the Western theme, so everybody yes. looks hot in their Western attire. Oh God! People yes. check out Vegas during NF, the two weeks in a far was such a blast. Oh yeah, and still at the Thomas and Mac, your old uh, stomping so ground too. The, it's yeah. still at the Thomas and still Mac. Still at the Thomas awesome. and Mac, and but everyone goes to the Strip, and it's just a great place to be those two weeks. I can imagine. Is it, I mean, is it still a pain to get tickets? Uh, to NFR itself, uh, yes, it's still a pain to get tickets to NFR and stuff. I didn't actually go to the um, rodeo part of it, but I went to the shows around it, and um, there was just a ton of people packed, like even people going to Raider games during that time oh. that were in town for it. And I don't know how those people afford it. There are people that legit stay there the whole, like they make it a two-week vacation. Which I know, it's crazy. Yeah. They come from all over the country. In fact, I met a couple from Pendleton, Oregon, Oregon of all places, and wow. they were just fun to talk to. So, well, that's funny because you make a great point about the whole, the whole thing being expenses. I remember then when people did it, when which was a fraction of the cost of everything now. Okay, so let's let's hop into this here real quickly. Um, okay, we'll start out. So, so, you know, the regular podcast starts out with the COVID Chronicles. And I would be remiss since we're always texting back and forth about, you know, the impact of COVID. So we'll take a couple of questions about COVID before moving on to chaos in the NCAA. Yes. Sound good? Yes. Okay. So I guess we'll start off with this one. Are you surprised by the ferocity that Delta and Omicron and how they've almost brought the sports world to its knees to the point of the spring 2020 levels? I, I am surprised because um, I just remember last year, like around February, March, when the vaccine started rolling out. Last year, from what I remember, June, July, you had packed stadiums, no one wearing masks, no you, players weren't getting it. And it just seemed like we were back to normal. I did not think in a million years going into the season that 2021, 2022 would be the way it's been with the cancellations. And I don't think the leagues necessarily did either. They had full schedules. Um, they weren't doing those weird back-to-backs on schedules that we saw in pretty much, at least in hockey and basketball last year. Um, when the Delta first came out, I thought there would be delays, but there seemed to be enough vaccine protection to keep outbreaks from happening. There might be a case here or two, but it seems to me that Omicron was just something that nobody saw coming. Um, and it's taking out whole teams in both Absolutely. in all sports right now. So every sport in the world, every sport in the world, it's taking out whole teams and it's spreading like crazy. And some of these people, they're lucky they're vaccinated because um, from what I'm hearing, two thirds to three quarters of the people are asymptomatic that probably never would have even known they had it if they didn't take it, if they weren't required to go under the daily or every three day testing that these leagues have. And you know what? The leagues are making the decisions, have some tough decisions to make right now. So we're going to see how this goes forward. But I never in a million years thought they'd have to deal with this. Well, how do you feel about the profit over safety? Because yes. clearly, 
not having contingency plans in place and you know, just some forward thinking on this that yes this could mutate we could be in a situation because there were you know the relaxed protocols and even the arguments right now from some people you know that go both ways which means yes. we could be here all day yeah. as far as that goes but yes. the truth is i mean how do you feel about you know was it a matter of profit or just, you know, there's so much going on that they took it for granted that yeah. we get back into this. I think they took it for granted um, because I took it I took it for granted. And I, I was one that was texting you in April, May 2020 that I thought it would be till 2024 that this thing was um, would be under control, which others thought I was crazy. But then when I saw how well that because I never thought we'd have a 95 percent efficacy vaccine when it first um, came out, because I know the flu vaccine is lucky to be 30 to 50 is normally 30 to 50 percent. So I could understand why they weren't forward thinking. But at the same time, at this point, they definitely seem to be taking profit over um, safety. The fact that the, I mean, the NHL took a pause from their games, but they have a built-in three-day pause anyway, so taking it two days early didn't, I don't know if it really sinks into their profits, but the NBA, the fact they're going full forward with Christmas games, they're telling people to sign 10-day contracts for everyone. I mean, they definitely don't want it. The NBA, at the very least, definitely doesn't want to lose Christmas because it's their money maker. They've sold a bunch of ads for those games already, so if Lakers and Nets has to be played with two D-League teams, essentially, it's going to be played. Same you know? with the NFL and the two games yes. they have, right? Since you know, Christmas falling on a Saturday yes. like it is, they yes. can get it on the NFL well. is definitely yeah. taking profits over safety. Yeah. I mean, if you look at their new protocols they're doing, they basically have decided that we don't want these asymptomatic people testing positive and having to reschedule games, so we're just not going to test them anymore. I mean, that's basically seems what the NFL has done. And, um, I mean, you there's an argument you could make that that that's okay to do, but from an optics standpoint, it doesn't look good, and you can't say you're doing that anyway, any reason other than putting profits over safety, for sure. Absolutely, and I mean, I think one of the things that, that I thought fascinating when we look at profits over over safety, when you hear, you know, the, the varying players, let's say when you hear a Baker, or you hear yeah. a KD, uh-huh. I mean, I'm always kind of troubled by that, because when things were going well, you didn't hear these guys freaking out yeah. and complaining. It's only sort of now where, oh man, I get sick, that, that, yeah. that we're starting to complain because I just feel like it's not, um, I think that they've put too much onus on management to yes. keep everybody safe. And I feel like there's not a lot of falling on the players. Yeah. Or, I mean, where are these outbreaks coming from and what are they doing? Well, because with vaccinate, I mean, they're coming in, I mean, the NBA, all the leagues, as far as I understand, mm-hmm. last year, what kept the cases really low is they were under strict protocols. They were essentially Absolutely. having Zoom meetings mm-hmm. on the road. And trust me, even though they're making millions, this isn't a life that seems that seems like it would be fun at all. You're, they were basically confined to their hotel rooms on the road. This year, they're going out. They're mingling with people, mingling with probably a lot of people you know, that are close. Yes, exactly. You said it. Yes. Probably mingling with people who are unvaccinated, and that's as much as what's probably started the spread of the virus. So I don't think there. I don't think the players really 
have been that care as careful on the road because they're making up for lost time for the last two years, basically. So <laughs> I made up look at their free con for sure. Yes. So um, do you agree or disagree? Okay. So for example, we talked about this over the weekend. Yeah. The EPL was considering. This is the biggest time of the year, Boxing Day and New Year's yeah. Day, which is choked full of fixtures. Yeah. The EPL right now is going forward with those measures and to play games. Yes. Do you agree with shutting down, or do you feel like we have enough knowledge and we should go forward very carefully? Um, honestly, what the, the so when this first started last year, we texted this. The plan I would have put in place would have been to basically have like a B team, like a permanent B second team, expand rosters, and each club has their own second club that you that is um, under strict protocols that you could just bring guys in because the logistics of having to cancel a season or having to postpone games, as we've seen, isn't wasn't good. And no one seemed to even entertain that idea. So in light of the fact that idea wasn't entertained, um, I think it would probably be better um, just to have a two-week break and push everything back, like push the two weeks of the games back to another time. But we know financially right, this is the worst time to do it. it so is, but so you have to, if you're a commissioner, you have to... You have to put that in the factor. I, I, right. And I guess this is where I, I, I agree with you a thousand percent, but yeah. I guess I take a half a step back because yeah. this is where the greed factor goes in. We know last year with certain leagues that took off five months, you're yeah. going to make your money. It may yes. take you a little while longer to make it yes. back up. Uh -huh. But as I was saying on last week's podcast, I mean, right, you, we can make agreements with the, with the airlines and other things on the individual, the yeah. team, mm -hmm. whatever level, as yeah. far as like, okay, we've got time, you know, yes. what is, you know, moving back, move other dates, okay, so Guns N' Roses plays two weeks later, it's so fine, okay, you know, I, I, might, I guess, yeah. when, when I see that, well, no, we can't take, we have to get these fixtures in, I'm a little troubled by that, I shouldn't say yeah. a little, I'm very yeah. troubled by uh -huh. just, you know, it seems like in a rush to get everything in and sort of, you know, make up for whatever shortfalls happened in 2020, even yeah. into 2019 before this, uh -huh. that we're just, you know, at, at this bottleneck yes. pace. And I just yes. feel that. Why isn't there any sanity cropping up from yeah. this? Like I said, the, the way to have avoided having these messes would have been, I think, um, because most, like, no sport other than baseball has a full minor league system where you have, like, legit three teams that basically belong to the parent club. But I think if they, had, if they were forward-thinking enough, they could have created that system, mm -hmm. which also would have put an onus on the players to be careful because how mad are you, like, if the, let's say if the Nets had to play the next three, four games with basically a D-League squad, not that they're kind of not anyways lately, um, that would make you, it could definitely cost you a seed in the playoffs, home games, home playoff games down the future. In the future for borderline playoff teams, it could cost you a spot in the playoffs. So that would have motivated the team, the management to make sure the players were more careful too. But no, it's bad optics. And even if you don't cancel Guns N' Roses, you can't tell me that every stadium doesn't have has seven days a night booked. There's no there's no arena in the world that is literally booked seven days a no, night. Absolutely. And even if there was, there's nearby arenas. You can make it work yeah, if you want right. to. There's flexibility and 
you know, right, in the interest of what's good for the public. Yes. Right? You know what I'm not saying? Don't yeah. make a dollar innocent in this lifetime. Yeah. Go ahead. But, you know, we can take our time and you're still going to make your money. Because the one thing we have seen that being away for all that time. Yeah. People weren't afraid to get back once the pool no. capacity. Oh no! Right, the places were basically, you know, you were shoehorning people in. Hey, it's full capacity yeah. now, even with everything going on right. in the places that are allowing it. So, so, so that's a good question. So let me ask you this then: What should be done with the fans? Do we reduce capacity or put it in empty venues until we have this under control? Because we know there's a lot of flimflam stuff going of on stuff with people. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the a good a thing that would help a lot uh, with the fans at least is if you force them to and of the 90 so professional teams in this country I don't think more than three or four have it where you have to be vaxxed to go into the arena I mean if you made it so you had to be vaxxed that could be a good start right. but we know okay you know the politics of that won't let it happen in, in most places right now even during Omicron does not have a vax or proof of test requirement Yes, or mat, or like even mask in some of these yeah. places. Now, once you're in the arena, you're. I've been to enough. I've been to a couple nights games this year, which don't require mask or don't require vax, but you have to wear your mask in the arena. And once you're in, I would say about maybe you get 50% compliance at most. So, and if it, that policing that is just not practical when you get that many people in the stadium. Um, now, Canada has gone to 50% capacity, and that's something maybe certain places would consider, and that would probably be the best for the public, is to go, is to reduce capacity, but I just, it's not going to happen. The onus will be on the leagues, because I don't think any, there's too much politics going around for state governments right now to actually mandate that that happens so and the leagues don't want the leagues have said to themselves we've lost a lot of money we're not it's if unless we're forced to we're not going to do that which is fine so i just say enforce the mass yes. yours for the safety of the players yeah. and everybody else and you have all these things floating around um right which are the two variants are more contagious it's not surprised that we're having these cases blow up given oh. number of people in closed indoor spaces oh yeah right so it's like it makes sense for I mean, at the very at the very least if you forced everyone to be vax going mm -hmm. into the arena that would just be a very big step towards it mm -hmm. and if I, honestly, that's probably the socially acceptable thing to do, right? Or the socially best thing to do. You could still make your money. I don't think the capacity would be that. I don't think you would hurt yourself that much capacity-wise. Because the Raiders force you to be vaxxed. And they've pretty much sold out every single game this year. And I believe Lakers suits are... I believe the Lakers and the New York teams, you have to be vaxxed right. there. I mean, how and they're much still, are they enforcing it, though? In terms that, of that's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question. Because because the card, I mean, anyone can get that card, I feel, right. regardless, you know. Um, so let's, okay, let's close this segment out with this one. Then we'll All move right. on to some of the meteor stuff. Yeah. Um, let me get my phone back over here. Um, I guess the biggest thing when we talk about COVID, and it's not a question of having a major impact. We've already seen that happen, let's uh -huh. say, with the MLS, with Philadelphia barely being able to fill the team in the Eastern Final. Uh -huh. um, I'm seeing it all. I mean, a major competition, whether it's the college football playoff or the NFL playoffs, 
what do you think is going to happen when an outbreak all of a sudden can determine the outcome? I mean, I think it's it's up to every the commissioner has to decide, okay, what's the best for the integrity of the game? And I think if an out if if the teams are following protocols, I don't think they should be punished for an outbreak happening. And as of now, the teams have followed protocols. And that's why some NFL teams are kind of mad about um, stuff that's going on because they've done what they're supposed to. They weren't confined into their hotel rooms on the road, you know. So they didn't do anything wrong. They just, it's just this uh, virus is so um, prevalent in society right now that they just got it. I think you have to cancel games if you think it's going to, or reschedule games if it's going to affect the integrity of the outcome because injuries happen in sports, but I don't think it's fair for a game to be decided as long as the play Players were making a good faith effort to abide by the rules. Right. I don't feel like it's fair. It's in the spirit of competition well, sure. to have a game, to have a series decided, a championship decided on something like that. And you bring up a very good point because the NFL, for, for example, is getting a lot of blowback and criticism yeah. for talking tough and then sort of, sort of like kind of walking it back in terms yeah. of no forfeits. I know the Eagles are very hot right now. Yeah. I know the Seahawks are very angry as well. Yeah. But I think you make a great point because in those particular cases, well, the teams in the 90, 90 percentile are people yes. vaccinated. Yes. So, well, you know, you can't really punish everybody. This is uh -huh. just nobody, as we talked about previously, but uh -huh. nobody saw that we'd have two more variants that were highly contagious. Yeah. On the other hand, looking at the Hoyas, didn't they just have to forfeit their game against Providence? Yeah. And then there was a forfeit. In, well, see, they, they forfeited games, and conferences have made those decisions mm -hmm. to forfeit, which I don't even know if they're necessarily right decisions to make. Now, the NCAA has instructed like tournament committees to basically count it as a no contest, so it's not going to be held against against the losing team, it's not gonna help the winning team. And if those teams are following protocols, have high vaccination rates, then I honestly think that's the way that it should be right now. Now for conference tournaments, yeah, it's gonna hurt though. It might, it may hurt those schools somewhere down the line because I know Washington having to cancel, I mean, Washington had to take a forfeit against UCLA a couple weeks ago. And I don't think it's fair to punish them I think the best thing would have been to either reschedule the game or or make it a no contest, like whereas like it doesn't count against or for either team, because at this point, like the leagues, as far as we know, the, there's a protocol for vaccinated players, there's a protocol for unvaccinated players, and it doesn't seem that the team broke the protocols or tried to do anything fishy. Right, you know, and we're talking, you know, uh, 18 to 22 year olds for the most part in terms of, you know, are we being realistic, yes. especially with the Thanksgiving holiday and maybe they had a chance to go hang out with their families, whatever the case may be, but I think it is very punitive yes. as far, and especially this time of year. On this side of Christmas and the other side of New Year's when classes start and you've got there's room to make these games up and especially yes. when we're talking about uh -huh. two West Coast 
schools in the same conference. Yes. And what was funny is I believe UCLA makes a trip that or like they make a trip. One of those schools makes a trip down to the other to like play the rival of the school mm-hmm. at some point. There's no reason why you can't make it up in that yeah, time period. I'm I feel. curious to see what happens. And this is the last point we'll make. We'll take a quick break is UCLA and USC both are on pause right now. Yes. Right. They've suspended all activities for uh-huh. both the men and women's ba- men and women's basketball programs. Uh-huh. So if they can't make the Arizona trip, is that going to be postponed or there's going to be forfeits? Yeah, that's a good. I mean, that's a good question. And it, like I said, it's kind of not. I mean, it's kind of like it's one of those not fair things because as far I'm willing to bet those teams are 80, 90 percent vaccinated. So I mean, it's it just kind of sucks the times we're going through. You know, Absolutely. just just as a general statement. You know. Well, all right then. We will take a break so we can like tulip our, our adult beverages and other fun things. We'll be back with some more fun stuff on the other uh, side. Yes. <laughs> Welcome back to Boom Talk Studios on a chilly, wintry night in South Eugene, in the friendly neighborhood, bringing you Fox Strike in the Foxhole, Season 3, Episode 20, the companion episode, number 84 overall, giving some love to Gary Clark and Hall of Famer Shannon Sharp. What do you think, think about that? Got a little Monday night football action, which I was talking about in the other podcast. Tua and the boys looking good. 10-0. The Saints without their quarterbacks. A little problematic there. Big pick six. Kid having some problems, as we know. Taysom Hill and Mr. Trevor Simeon unavailable due to the COVID. Yeah, a little addendum to it. Some of the things we were talking about in the previous segment. You know, one of the things I forgot to mention, even in the other podcast, about reduced capacities. Uh, League One, yes, that League One of the PSG, Marseille, Monaco, Lille, and Lyons, and others, they are going to make the move as far as capacity goes, capping it at 5,000. In order to prevent, or I think it's just a reaction of the spread of Omicron, especially in Delta to some degree, over in, in Europe. And it makes sense from a safety sense. We'll see how that goes as we get more information. It's those those uh, at league won't start again, and the ones below it till January, although there are some cup games at the beginning of the year. But yes, they're going to limit capacity to 5,000 people. We wonder if you will see other leagues around the world and different sports follow suit as far as that goes. Okay, like I said, Dolphins are up 10 0, 120 in the first quarter. Saints looking very shaky at the Superdome. Anyhow, 
we'll continue our conversation, part two. And there's going to be more segments to come down the road. We didn't get a chance to get everything we wanted to talk about in when we're hanging out down at the legendary Max's Tavern. Ran into a legendary character in Eugene, former athlete, javelin thrower at the University of Oregon. And chatted with him for quite a bit, and hopefully he will come on and do a podcast about with us talking about track town and everything that's kind of happened and is going to happen down the road. He said he was into it. We just kind of like nail it down. Anyways, we got the talking, and somehow it gave time to watch the Tuesday night games, especially with the Washington football team playing. You know I had to go find a bar where I could go see it. So anyhow, enjoy part two of this conversation with Alec Ford, where we sort of look at chaos on campus. Okay, we are back after having a legendary figure grace us, which you know, allowed us to take some time out to catch up on some all things Oregon yes. and everything else. Yes. Okay, so let's go to segment two here, and we're going to call this Chaos in the NCAA. Yes. So first of all, give us your take now that we've had some time since we talked late, was that, that was like late summer, Yeah. right before football season kind of started last yeah. time we talked. Give us your take on year one of NIL in the enhanced transfer portal. Oh God, it's created total chaos in the NCAA. Um, you're, everyone's essentially on one-year deals every single year. Um, they could train. I mean, you could leave your school any year. You could sell yourself out to the highest bidder. Um, it's definitely made Vegas, or it's definitely made foot and the NCAA in general a totally different animal. And just not sure it's good for the sport because. I'm not someone who's ever pretended to think that it's truly about being an educational, uh, like, you know, they're truly student athletes, but they're not even, like, pretending it's like that now. It's all about, I mean, what average college student would, trans could in theory, transfer every year and go to college for four at, like, three different schools over your time, you know, and get your degree? You know, it's just insane to me that this stuff could basically be sanctioned by the NCAA now. Well, as we've talked about numerous times, and I think that we're in agreement as far as this goes, understanding don't hate the player, hate the games, yeah. you know, so to speak. But this narrative, well, coaches can turn their back on I'm so sick of hearing that narrative. Yes. No, because... Okay, you a coach gets you there. You commit to the school, okay? And you know what? I could understand you're really committing to the coach, but a coach could also get fired after any time they leave. So it's not like coaches and coaches are professionals that that generally get paid. They're not part of the student athlete system. All right? And the job yes, they get paid millions and the players help them, I suppose. Oh well, yes, they do. But at the same time, it's like you can't revoke a scholarship unless you do something extremely wrong. Whereas, like, a coach could have the plug pulled on them anytime they want, you know. You so it's not out. an apples, that, that's not an argument where it's an apples and apples well, sure. You know, and as you uh, pointed out to me many times in the last year and a half or so, yeah. um, ADO and Gene Chiswick, 
Back in the day, you yeah. win a national championship. You're a made man like in the mafia. Yeah. And that's a lifetime guarantee. Yeah. These guys were jettisoned within two or three yeah. years of winning Not a championship. Not even two calendar years in both cases. They were jettisoned from their job. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that, and you know what? Some may say I'm ignorant for saying this, but the value of a college degree is not something that I ever scoffed at. When you think of the amount of people in this country that take out student loans, that are saddled with student loans for the rest of their lives to better themselves, okay? Just the value of basically getting a four-year degree on for free itself is something that is worth monetary value, always has been in my opinion. Um, also, um, so it's not like they're not getting anything for what they're getting, putting in. So I think it's, it's I think it's Remember totally or, insane that what's going on Remember right or, now. Um, your education and every Power Five school, to my knowledge, has an incentive that if you don't finish during your time of eligibility, you can come back and finish your degree on the university's dime. Yes. And just look statistically at the advantage that someone with a college degree has versus someone who doesn't have a college degree. And the fact that that got totally dismissed, yes, there are there is things you have to put into it. Like, you have to go to practice. You have to be part of a team. That takes time. I understand. It may be harder to get good grades in theory because of what's going on. But, I mean, let's not be – let's not uh, lie to ourselves. They also get a lot more help in terms of in their classes, especially here at the University of Oregon. Yeah, beautiful glass. Yeah, that beautiful glass. They have a building that no other person could use that is basically designed for the student for the student athlete. So I do not – I do really do not like the direction that college football um, or that college sports in general went into with the NIL. I, I have made the argument, and I know I've made it to you, and I've made it on my podcast many times. Yes. If I was still a student, yes. or still a grad student, I'd be hopping mad. I'd probably, even though they put a contract out on me, I'd be leading to protest. It's like, I cannot believe... You know, with NIL and all the other built-in advantages, yeah. how the regular student body, which is more concerned looking at their phone or being seen with their stupid sign on Saturdays, yeah. is it more pissed off, especially the folks who are, or as you say, and we both know, being forced into debt. Yeah. So let me ask you this yes. here before I, because I, I can you know, scream and yell about this all day oh, long. Oh, definitely. Same here, man. Um, we'll follow up with what we were just talking about. And this is basically the coaching carousel and what is the new normal for college coaches. It's almost like European soccer, where there is zero patience. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no room for error. I mean, we were just talking with, with Casey, the former track star, about Oregon football and all yeah. those changes. And we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But let me get your sense about this new normal, which is the, co the coaching carousel and what we just saw and what we could see now that someone like Urban Meyer is available again. Yes. 
Well, you know what? Um, first of all, there's no going back, kind of piggybacks to what I said. There's no security. There's no loyalty. So these coaches, they're gonna sell themselves out to the highest bidder because they know at the end of the day, like say Lincoln Riley, as much as he did for Oklahoma, if he has two six and six seasons in a row, he knows he's gone just like that. Uh, same with Brian Kelly at um, LSU or currently at LSU. Mm-hmm. You know, no, that none of those fans bases are patient okay when I look around and I see that Eddie O Gene Chizik like we just said are fired within two years of winning the national championship I would take um, I would take the hires offer too I'm one of those people in that suge- mm-hmm. in that sense also I also feel like it shows how much college sports is um, I mean, how much of a business it is. I mean, because it is kind of insane that college coaches are making that much money. Um, And I don't know if that's a direction that's necessarily good to... um, go towards because they're supposed because I've always been pro the student athlete because in my hierarchy of life I got into college sports later than I got into professionals because I always was under the illusion that they should be student athletes and not perfect and not paid let professionals let me interject this real quick I brought this up on recent podcast they dropped that stat I think about three weeks ago uh-huh. where there's almost $800 million in dead money as far as buyouts, taking care of head coaches and uh-huh. assistants over the last eight years. And they're like saying that's not even something they can even quantify yet, mm-hmm. which make, it's kind of a real unhealthy thing yeah. as far as this coaching carousel goes and all the dead money where with all the buyouts it's i get it and this is how big of a business it's become but don't you find that to be kind of disturbing that you have that kind of dead money for people just to go away oh it does because um well first of all if you're an average student Mm -hmm. all right like if i was still going here at the university i'd be like okay so why can't you i mean you obviously have money that you can put back into you know things that are important things that go towards the school so yeah I definitely do find that disturbing that they have that much money they could just pay people to like do nothing now a lot of that comes from boosters who have that, their priorities and their priority isn't to build a new building for the um, biology or the history department or the history department you know their priority is because they you know they 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 have the dopamine of their sports teams winning like we all do you know that that gives them that you know high and they're going to put their money to where they care about so they don't have to put it to the history or the biology department they could put it to get the coach they hate to go away you know so that's part of a free market society which i'm totally pro in that sense you know okay so an interesting point that we can like dig a little bit deeper into in a few minutes yes but we'll talk about CMC, Coach Mario Cristobal. Yes, that Mario Cristobal. Yes, that Mario. Well, I thought it was interesting that you just signed an $80 million deal to go back to Coral Gables. At the same time, the faculty, because of COVID shortfalls, in the last two years have had to take a 5 to 7% pay cuts. And they're hopping mad. They're just like, going, well, it'd be one thing if the guy had won a national championship, but you guys are bringing him into the win, but yet I have to take a 5 to 8% pay cut because... 
So it's an interesting landscape that we're building. So let me ask you this here, yes. you know, after making that comment. Um, <laughs> let's talk Oregon here. Because we were just talking with a, yes. a friend who used to be track and field yes. legendary bartender here. Yes, best That's, bartender this bar's ever had. I'll just throw yeah. that in there. <laughs> I've seen a lot of great bartenders here. He's definitely, yeah. he's definitely in the pantheon. Yes. <laughs> um, let's talk Oregon, and let's talk about this hire of Dan Lanning. And kind of, the, as we just talked about, the fallout of CMC leaving. And let's revisit this question of dream job or stepping, stepping stone. So I feel like, or okay, I feel like if a coach came into Oregon and was able to build it and won, just won a national title here, hypothetically, okay, they would stay here for a while. Okay, you could argue that this is a stepping stone job. I mean, it, some feel like it's become a stepping stone job, but I really don't. I really think the right person that had the success that you would, that a person can with the resources we have here at this university would stay around for a long time, okay? Um, I, quite frankly, in hindsight, the people that left us, I mean, good riddance, honestly. Um, they're not people that you would have wanted to stay around for a long time anyways, you know? And, like, Coach Willie Taggart, um, I don't think, in hindsight, no one should have been sad that he left Oregon, you know? And Cristobal, like, I've texted you back and forth on this, like, many, many times, and I'm not at all sad he's left. And obviously, he's from Miami. Good job, good for him being able to get what he thought was his dream job. But if he had won two national titles at Oregon, let's hypothetically, he's not going to Miami. So he felt like he maxed out here. But I really don't think this is a stepping stone job because um, if Dan Lanning comes in here and has the success that I feel a good coach should have at this university, he will stick around for a while, especially if the fan base is happy with him and he just gets the thing rolling. Unless the NFL is the only threat. Okay, really. I think can, okay, I, I agree with you about 93%. 7% of me says... Both can be true. Yes. That yes, it can be a dream job for the right person, but yet, in the world, as we were talking in the conversation with Casey, that we're in a different landscape now where yeah. you've built these wonderful facilities and you have ambition. Yes. So therefore, if you have ambition, others have ambition as well. So it's not unreasonable, especially since Oregon's a Nabu Reach program, for somebody to say, hey, I can double deal you, whether, whether it's Austin, Coral Gables, yeah. or Tallahassee. I think people get really angry. So that's why I was going to segue into this all the drama surrounding this hire uh -huh. and some of the backlash from prominent Oregon alumni who have played in the NFL and sort of helped build this program yeah. even though yes. they overstate their importance what is your take about all of that honestly I read the letter and it rubbed me the wrong way how so because I just think those these I think a lot of those people are so out of touch with how things currently are um, with everything that's happened since they have played okay I'm not okay Joey Harrington obviously very important to the university to maybe the brand it's become today but we're no longer the um, 
I, I'm, I don't know what the word I'm trying to say, but we're no longer like the above average team that's trying to make a miracle or, or run like say, every hey, like seven or eight years. You know, look, hey, little Oregon here, we have a unique thing. Yeah, yeah, we have unique jerseys. We have nothing else. All right, I think we've done enough to show that we're swinging for the fences. We're trying to win national titles, and I don't think you could have it go both ways. You can't go back to your. There, if we don't have the history of a North Carolina basketball or like someone like that where you could say oh let's dig into our roots and find someone like that if you're going to be trying to become the west coast Alabama there's no one in the Oregon uh, pipeline that could get you there in my opinion um, so it rubbed me the wrong way because you know what I appreciate Justin Wilcox and I think he is the I mean from watching his Cal teams since he took over they play hard I think they're prepared and he gets as much out of them as he could but he hasn't shown me enough to he hasn't shown me enough to show that he could be the next next Nick Saban okay there's enough for me to say that he's not the next next Nick Saban okay where anyone in the Oregon pipeline I would say that about and if you're trying that to happen you have to go outside the box and Dan Lanning odds are he's not the Nick Saban but he could be he's young he's energetic he had a hell of a defense at Georgia um, he's lost a couple recruits which you know you would expect because those guys committed to Mario but some of the coaching hires he's made there's no way that I feel like Justin Wilcox would have has the connections to hire a guy for him to hire the lead um, what, what's the name what's the position the guy from A&M they gave what's the title of his position I've never even heard like chief of football whatever you want to call it CFO yeah CFO okay I've never even heard of that COO something like that but he was in Georgia for four years just got the number one recruiting class at Texas A&M even more so than Alabama um the guy he brought in from Florida State who um, has experience working in the SEC, the guy he brought in from Baylor, I just don't see Justin Wilcox or Chip or anyone else Well, let's talk about Oregon. Chip here real quick because that's a, there's a lot of talk about whether Justin took, you know, turned down the job or not. We can get into that or not. But I think more important is Chip in terms of we just talked with Casey about this. Yes. But in your opinion, why Chip to was not the right move for Oregon because a lot of people feel it should have been. This is why Chip 2.0 for me is not the right move for Oregon. Okay, so when Chip came into college football, the system he brought in, like starting with when he came in from New Hampshire and basically got Dennis Dixon, who was like a mediocre college quarterback, on the cuts of a Heisman Trophy until he tore an ACL, basically. It was something, it was a system that came out of nowhere, though, okay? Absolutely. Like, you were, you had receivers, like, on the edges of both lines. You were running every single play out of the shotgun, basically. And it was just hard for defenses to prepare for when he first brought in that system to Oregon, okay? And, it's, and he takes over his coach, has a great run as coach. Still the greatest four-year run in the history of Oregon seven. Yes in the history of Oregon football, but I also feel like um, 
it was it's kind it, we were kind of living in an outlier and i felt that at the time but when you're living in an outlier you don't feel like at the time because he wasn't bringing in top-notch recruits okay not his forte that's not he was bringing in three four stars plugging them into the system so we were never the most talented team even within the pac-12 we were never the most pac-10 at the time but mm -hmm. we were never the most talented team i feel um but our scheme was just so unique and other coaches would even say it was hard to prepare for oregon because every other team ran some form of a pro style offense all right whereas like the one week you had to prepare for oregon it was just totally out of the box but at the end of the day teams started to copy us <laughs> and teams copied us with better players over time you know, well, well, the athletes to be able to, 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 to counteract what oregon was doing yes and I don't see Chip, believe it or not, based off what I've seen at UCLA so far, he's recruiting good, but not like great recruiting classes. And I just don't, I feel at the end of the day, players win championships more than coaches. And I just do not feel Chip would have brought in the players that were necessary, even at Coach Mario Cristobal level, to get the, to turn us into the West Coast Alabama. So that's why that's not a direction. And I also feel like the that we, the college football's kind of caught up with Chip's system. Like, yes, he kind of had a resurgence year this year at UCLA, but his overall record at UCLA is really nothing to... Uh, is it like 18 and 25? Yes, like 22 and 25. Okay. Nothing to, like, be impressed about. And here's another reason why I don't think Chip 2.0 would have been a good deal, is that the way I look at it is that if he had been hired by a no other Power 5 program at this moment, I think would have been excited about having Chip Kelly hired as his coach. Oregon's the only one that would have been because of the nostalgia, because of the history with Chip, but just as a general move, I really don't think that would have been a good idea for Oregon to bring in him as his 2021-2022 version. I just don't see him having the same success here. Okay, so along those lines, you know, speaking about trying to become the Alabama of the West, Let's talk about the, see, the college football playoff in general. Last week, the whole conversation about fast-tracking, expanding the playoff to 2024, it basically fell dead because they're arguing. And there's a, why I say that? Because there's a kind of argument being made that this year kind of proves that maybe four is enough. That, if, that all we're doing by expanding it is giving more games and not necessarily having a quality product. Because I think it's hard enough to find three really legit teams with the system we have now. Do you agree or disagree? Um, oh, I think we get legit teams, and I think the games will be. Um, I mean, I think you generally get good games. You know, you get generally fairly even match teams so you in think, the games. Do you want and more or less? Though? More or less what? You want more or less? Like, I mean, I guess maybe I didn't phrase that right. But go to eight or twelve when it's clear maybe we don't. Maybe we four is good enough. I mean, how do you feel about that? Because you know, there's. I mean, I actually. I mean, I think four is good. Mm -hmm. um, I can understand arguments for the twelve because at the end of the day, um, it brings in money. Okay, mm -hmm. that's. 
what it all comes down to. Um, now, some of the, the it, at the end of the day, I feel like it is in everyone's best interest to get it, get the system expanded so it works. Okay, um, looking at it from this Pac-12's point of view, we haven't had a team in the playoffs since I think two, was it 2016 when Washington was in it and got killed to Alabama that year. Right, it was like Oregon 2015 and Washington 2016. Silence. Yeah, it was something like that, basically. And if you're, I mean, just for having access to it, I think is good. Um, so I think it's overall in everyone's best interest to have it to 12. Now, four is a good product, too, because you are getting the elite teams. Um, the only thing is, okay, last year, if there was a year you would have had a weird team in it, I thought it would have been last year because you had COVID going on. You had Coastal Carolina um, undefeated. You had, like, BYU go on their run, basically. I believe Cincinnati, even last year, was undefeated. was making noise as well. I think they were undefeated until the bowl game mm-hmm. where they lost to Georgia, mm-hmm. which, which was actually a competitive game, if so I remember correctly. Um, so I think, I mean, when you're a fan, though, you want, your t- you want a glimmer of a hope that your team could possibly make that Cinderella run like we've seen it with like George Mason in basketball or VCU Mm -hmm. and the system generally isn't set up like that so I just think having I think having 12 teams is in the best even though four is good because you get the best of the best but I actually kind of prefer it that the little guy at least has a semblance of hope to like possibly get in the playoffs and if you're the Pac-12 so if you expand then you're basically saying the existing ball system has to it has to be scrapped which is not a bad thing because I tried watching some of those games over this past weekend and there's not a bigger like cure the Bahamas Bowl didn't help there's a bigger cure for insomnia yeah, than yeah. watching Oregon State and Utah oh, State God, at man, 8 yeah. o'clock in the night you know just playing a who yeah. cares game so maybe that is a good thing I don't know what do you think I don't think the bowl system gets scrapped though I really don't because well how do you get all these games in for extra <laughs> If we have 12 teams. Okay, so you would have the 12 team playoffs. I think you will still have bowls, though, simply because. Um, Simply because you okay, those six and six teams, they want the extra practice time. They want the coaches want to be able to put on their resume. I made a bowl game this year, you know. So I don't know. Okay, like if anything, it. I mean, this may not be a good thing at all, but you, it probably expands the amount of five and seven teams that you get in bowls, which. I mean, I remember when I first started following sports and, like, college. Uh, I mean, I, I never was a huge college football fan until I moved to Oregon, but I just remember that making a bowl game and just making a bowl game in the early 90s was, like, considered epic because, like, you had to be eight. You have to win, like, seven, eight games, basically, at the very least. So it may, like, um, lessen the um, accomplishment of making the bowls, but I still think that would happen. I mean, but going back, it's like, I don't get the argument from, like, the Pac-12, as an example, mm-hmm. that being against the 12th, being against the setup, because from what I understand, the only argument that's going on with the 12-team playoff now is that the, the proposal is it's the six best conference champions get the first six seeds, no matter what conference they're in, and then there's six wild cards after that. 
Um, the Pac-12, and I think the Big 12 want it, so it's the Power 5s that are all guaranteed a spot. But I feel like 9 out of every 10 years, it's going to work out that way anyway. So I don't even get why you're arguing about something so little like that to not get the playoff done. You know. So let me close this segment out with this. It's kind of a two-part question. Yeah. First, the first question would the first part of the question would be this: Lanning, Brian Kelly, Lincoln Riley, yeah, um, Marcus Freeman. Who makes the biggest splash? And then B, who do you see as a possible suitor for Urban Meyer if he's on the market again? Okay. Um, the second one, okay, the Urban Meyer question is easy. Texas, okay? Because with the amount of um, high school football, Texas is the school in the state of Texas to go to. There's more high school football talent in Texas than any other state in the country. And when you combine those factors, if Sark has another year where he goes five and seven, six and six, and Urban's available, I see Urban taking that job. And I see Texas wanting Urban to take that job. Now, in terms of making the biggest splash, I would almost have to say Lincoln Riley, and this is why. Um, we, know these, we know the success he's had at Oklahoma, um, got the four straight college football playoffs, and then um, last two years he went eight, nine and two, ten and two, something like that. Um, plus, USC football has just been down in the dumps for so long, and I just and they lost a lot of. I mean, it's amazing to me how much Southern California recruits have um, defected from Southern California. As much to come up here as anything, and I feel like Lincoln Riley, as much as anything, if he could just keep the SoCal talent down in USC, that that gives that basically makes it so. That makes it the biggest splash right there because there's enough talent in the Southern California area that if USC was able to monopolize it, that they could get back to being a consistent top 10, consistent conference champion a contender, consistent national championship contender. So that if I had to say there was a there was a jackpot higher so far, that's the one I would say. Because the other ones, there's too much question marks to say they're, to say for sure that they're jackpot hires. It's interesting you bring that up, because um, so the other day I was kind of bored, got a, had a new, new smart TV, which allows me to watch ESPN Plus in my bedroom, <laughs> and I was watching the 30 for 30 Trojan War. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, going back to the whole Pete Carroll thing, and how, at that time, L.A., without having professional football, how he captured L.A. Uh, I mean, the circumstances ha- were perfect in that regard, yeah. but you almost get that sense that he's capable of recapturing that magic. Now, that said, I wonder, with the emergency of the Rams and the Chargers being viable. Yeah. You know, I mean, how much of a slice is there left for, for USC right now? We know SC is always going to be ingrained in the DNA of LA, but at the same time... There might be less of a slice because um, 
I mean, the Rams, okay, since McVeigh took over the Rams, they have seen, they have seemed to have captured the city mm-hmm. in a way that it was when they were there the first time. Right, the now, Chargers, now, the Chargers, I don't really know about because that yeah. always seemed like an odd fit to me. It's that quite an odd L- fit. L.A., but at the same time, L.A. in a way is such a front-running town yeah. that if, her, I mean, with the emergence of Justin Herbert there, I could see the Chargers being a force to reckon yes. with in the for, for years, and as much as as stubborn as LA was to welcome the Chargers, I mean, at the end of the day, if they start if they start pounding out Super Bowls, that could or end up being like a, or being competitive. That could change itself, you know. Um, now, I, but I do think there will be a slice there, like if the if because you could have like we both like uh, we all know you could have a foot college team and you could have a pro team. Mm-hmm. You totally. For. So I honestly think if Lincoln Riley could get USC back to the Pete Carroll era, then I think I really do think he could capture that town sure, too. Because and SC, then all those people next to, on Sundays will just go to the Charger yeah, and Rams game. You know, SC is so intertwined in LA's DNA. Yes. No, more so, more so, especially at the football level, mm-hmm. like more so than anything else. They're in the, they're in the LA DNA, and a lot of people that were nostalgia that went all in for SC during the Pete Carroll years will come back. You know, oh, sure. and really any LA team that starts that does good that has success, that has a legacy that that will get the city into it. Okay, it doesn't matter what sport you are. That town could get into any team that has. Especially championship level success, except for the Clippers. Okay, okay, I cheated. One more bonus question on the way up. We yes. got a long one on this segment. Yes, but it's going to talk extensively about who's football ball cut it. Let me ask you this: Do you think Dana Altman, in spite of the slow start, got some encouragement watching that game in Baylor? Do they make a late run as far as the tournament goes? You know. Um, you know what? I like Dana. I like Dana a lot. Um, he's done. He's as great a hire this university has had in any sport as ever. And you have. It's sad the attention he hasn't gotten because the last eight nine years, Oregon basketball has just been phenomenal. How many Sweet Sixteens or higher we've gone to? I've watched a team this year though, and the Baylor game was encouraging. I don't think we're gonna make a run to the tournament this year okay. though. I mean. Um, we have too much flaws, and I think Dana's. The one thing about Dana's teams is they always get better as the year goes along. Okay, and be, that's why I, I, I had to get that question they, in. They, they always do, and I think this team will improve. But in some ways, I think relying on the transfer portal, like what he did with this current team, may end up costing him. Like may end up costing him. He could rethink about his strategy for next year. Um, um, but from what I've seen, this looks like the worst Dana team since at least his first, second year in Oregon, you know. But he's done enough that they will give him an opportunity to improve. But the one thing I do appreciate is Dana himself, I think he said this before the Baylor game, maybe bef- maybe before the uh, Stanford game even, that the team, he's honest enough with the fan base that he said, look, the team's not improving at the level that 
I expect my teams to improve at. They're, I'm not seeing the development out of this team. So for me, that's not a good sign. And I do appreciate the candor, but the fact that he said that really doesn't give me that much hope. But I do appreciate how honest he is because I don't think most coaches would flat out say, I don't see this team improving in the way that my teams in the past have been improving to this point, you know, so. Okay, I like that. Yes. So we'll cut that here. All right, then. That wraps up at least that part of the conversation with Alec Ford. Parts one and two. He and I are going to get together at some point, talk about the NBA in part three in the coming weeks. But that was a very fun conversation. Covered a lot of ground. Always a pleasure to get him on the podcast. As I say all the time, you want to come on the podcast and shoot the breeze and talk some sports on this one or anything cultural or interesting and the other one that we that we have intermittently, please do. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be able to do these sort of things. Uh, a little tidying up here. Saints get a field goal. Get back into one to get back to one score. It's 10-3 there. Sort of like a stalemate at the Caesars. Superdome. Anyhow, as I've said many times before, drop me a line, ftinfx at gmail.com. Check out episode 19. Big fat podcast that had to be recut because the content for the original recording got a little still because we were having too much fun with the holidays. But I think that's enjoyable, as this one was as well. So we'll see probably in about four or five days or so to close out the year. In the meantime, be safe, have fun. You know, all the things that I say in the usual podcast. All right then, talk to you later.